Good evening, guys. Thank you for tuning in to The Reload. This is episode four. Oh, my God. Um, I've already done this three episodes, and this is the fourth episode. I'm so excited um, because today we're going to get educated on identity, especially with women and young girls. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about um, just owning who you are as a woman, owning your sexuality, owning your identity, and embracing who you are, no matter what circumstances you have went through um, as a child, as an adult, or at this very moment. I have with me today, um, Professor <laughs> Aurelia Johnson, and she's an author as well, a scholar, and she's also the founder of The Owned Project. And when I read upon this organization, I knew right away that I wanted to um, interview this beautiful Black queen. And the company is, is focused on self-love, self-acceptance, and self-healing. Good evening, Professor Johnson. How are you? <laughs> I am great. I am great. I am great. I'm so happy to have you today. Um, before we get started, I definitely just want to take a minute and just, just do a 10 second inhale and exhale because today um, we learn of the verdict in relation to Breonna Taylor's um, murder um, out of Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. oh, I just want to take 10 seconds and of just a moment of silence just to reflect and just give our condolences to the ta Breonna Taylor's mother and family and friends and all of us that are hurting right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, 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 okay. So, Miss Johnson, Professor Johnson. <laughs> First and foremost, I want to say thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. You made a sister feel like she's somebody special. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, you know, my name is Aurelia Johnson. Um, I'm known as the Identity Professor. I'm a two-time graduate of Texas Southern University. I'm a mom, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a homegirl, a ratchet intellectual, all of these things. I'm currently finishing my PhD at Howard University uh, in the Department of Sociology and Criminology. Um, and my dissertation is, is an identity-based dissertation. So I'm looking at the, misidentifi the misidentification of transgender people after death. Um, and so uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's an issue, it's a pervasive issue. Um, transgender identity, like any other marginalized identity, is a contentious issue in the United States. 
um, as we can see with uh, this verdict that I'm not very surprised about, even though that in itself is heartbreaking, mm -hmm. uh, in the Breonna Taylor case. Why I do the work um, that I do, it's because it's needed. So I wasn't given a grounded um, sense of self. I was thrown into all of these varying spaces that said, you need to be this. You need to be that. You need to look like this. You need to walk like this. You need to talk like this. You need to sound like this. You, you need to eat like this. You know, all, all of those things. And so in, in the shuffle of life, I became everything that everybody wanted me to become. And I had no clear sense of who I was. And I didn't start gaining a sense of who I was until I had my first child. I had flunked out of college, um, ended up going back to college. And then I, you know, stepped on the campus of Texas Southern University, which I will always be grateful for um, because it made me who I am. And so I had a, I had amazing professors. One in particular was my debate coach, Dr. Thomas Ring. Uh, he just passed away this summer. He was a couple of weeks away from being 101. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, Tom Freeman was, you know, a man who, who created spaces for black and brown kids to find their voice. And um, I will always be grateful. And so now I'm just in that space of creating safe, non-judgmental spaces for women, for girls to find their voice, for, for them to own who they are, to go through these um, somatic, techniques to dig up past trauma and own what has happened to them and 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 stand in it and know that they can heal from it. Um, like you said, the own project is, is, is based off of self-love, healing, and acceptance. And one of the things that I honestly believe from my own experience is you can't love yourself without accepting yourself. Mm. And you'll never be able to heal yourself without loving yourself. And so these things are cyclical and they're connected. Um, and so that's, you know, pretty much the the synopsis, the, I guess that was long, huh? But that's, <laughs> that was the synopsis of, you know, why I do what I do. Yeah. So when you, you, you speak of like techniques, walk me through that process of, um, of, of a typical client or a typical individual, a typical person who's ready to reflect on mm -hmm. who they are as well as accepting who they are in order to begin that process of self-healing and self-loving and, and embracing who they are um, as a woman or as a young girl. Uh, let's talk about those techniques. So it's it's really, you have to be ready, right? When you walk into um, a seminar or workshop or at my signature event, Hello Talk, it's an experience, right? It's, it's something that you embrace. It's something that you are in the middle of. Um, and so, you know, we do anything from heightening the senses to learning the parts of the vagina to looking at your vagina to um, laying on hands in the traditional sense to praying. Um, so if, let's say, for instance, you are an individual who comes in and you are having some reproductive problems because of past trauma, mm -hmm. um, which you know could be an abusive relationship, emotional abuse, 
something, of, you know, a C-section, a pregnancy that, you know, didn't matriculate any of those things. Um, so if you come into a session, the session, the session that you're probably in is one that's catered to, because um, all of them are thematic. So it's probably catered to your particular trauma or some trauma that's similar to it, even though we're not all trauma-based. Um, but you're able to be in a space with women who are there that will speak to their truth, that will reveal their past. Um, they will cry together, laugh together. Um, we even had sessions where, you know, we've taught women how to ejaculate or squirt. Um, you know, so it just, it just depends. Like we, you know, we feed you, you, you get libations, you get food, you have a good time. There's music. It's just a whole vibe where black women are safe or women of color, women period are safe to be who they are and to show up and own exactly who they are. And a lot of times when we're out in the world, we don't really have those kinds of spaces. Right. Like you can, you can hang up your superwoman cape when you come in, you know, to one of the young projects events. How, how do, how, um, I, and I'm, I'm sure you see this a lot, right? Just a quick second, just talking about trauma and how trauma can bring on mental illness. And, and there's different levels of, you know, what comes with mental illness. Some people just have the basic where, you know, they just, it's just a depression phase where they just, stay indoors they don't want to move and then some people have where you know they become a little paranoid with certain things in their life um how how can one get comfortable with accepting because i what what i'm running into with with someone in my family because i don't want to say the name because I know it's very it's very sensitive. Um, but those who know me probably already know who I'm speaking of. Um, I have someone in my family who is dealing with mental illness. And it took me. I think it, it people also forget like the people who are surrounded by those individuals who are dealing with mental illness and that path that you're trying to take to help them even also heal. What is the process for someone, for someone like me, to to help someone who's dealing with mental illness when they can't even accept the fact that they even have mental illness? Well, so let me, you know, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Let me be clear. I, I'm a sociologist. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. So I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not one that deals with mental illness. I do deal with healing and past trauma. Um, and there are some some things that, you know, we walk through and we actually like, you know, that, you know, help people deal with accepting their lives where they are. Um, and I, but I have to be, you know, very honest. Like I'm not equipped to deal with mental illness in that capacity. Have I, you know, been diagnosed with GAD? Yes. Have I been yeah. diagnosed with PTSD? I think every black woman in America probably. <laughs> yes. And so I can speak to it from an informed place, you know, of knowing what it is like to deal with an anxiety attack or panic, what it is like to deal with um, depression. What what it what is it to be, you know, you want to sleep just all day long and three four days in a row. Like I can speak from that perspective. Yeah. But we don't 
the own project doesn't deal with mental illness in that way. Now we do have people that we're in relationship with who are clinical and psychologists to train psychiatrists or psychotherapists that we can refer people to. But the own project the own project doesn't deal in that in those kinds of issues. The other thing I was going to say is now we don't always it's not all trauma. And a lot of times when we have a conversation, especially when it comes to black women in America, it's a trauma-centered kind of conversation. And we, yes, we, we do have trauma. Yes, we have been traumatized in some kind of way, but not all black women are walking around broken. And so we have, you know, events that, you know, we need to put back the pieces and then we have events where we just want to get together and get have a good kiki. Right. So it's and I guess that's what I I was trying to get at is in terms of like the trauma, because sometimes that trauma do trip triggers some mental illness and and not necessarily to talk about mental illness, but how I guess like how can with that self-acceptance of owning who you are and identifying even issues that you need to work on so that they don't reach to a level of. Well, now it's getting to a point where you may be experiencing some mental illness. So how can I heal from accept the trauma that I've been to been through so that I can start healing? But I, you, I you have to be yeah. you have to be ready, yeah. right? You you have to this is not an easy journey. Like to look at yourself and say, Man, these are all the things that I need to get rid of. And then basically strip yourself of the identity or identities that you know. That's some scary you know what I mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> when you have to stand before yourself and it's only you and yourself and you have to be held, you know, accountable to yourself, that's scary. It takes a very courageous individual to be able to take even the first step on that journey. And you, you know, it's like what well, it's called backsliding. You backslide sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you go backwards, you re- you, you yeah. regress, you go back to the thing that's normal. Um, but then you get back on it and you, you know, you, you try to, you know, continue with your path and your journey. So you have to be ready. When it comes to mental illness, though, I think in, in, in our community in particular, mm-hmm. we do not have informed conversations enough. We don't have honest and courageous conversations enough. We always want to say, well, try Jesus. Okay. Well, all right. I, Jesus is true. I, I get it. And, and, and I'm not taking away from that because it's a part of my background. Right, right. Jesus also created doctors and psychiatrists and psychotherapists and psychologists and social workers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you have these other tools in your toolbox, you need to you have these use these tools. If you have access to these tools or you need to get access, then do that, right? Because there, I honestly think that because of 400 years of trauma, mm. right? And especially when you're talking about women. So now you're talking about rape and molestation and violence and aggression and anger and all of these things. Yeah. And that's passed down, right? So my, my grandmother on both sides passed down fear and worry and anxiety. Right. Right? Yeah. Not only was it, you know, informed because of my own personal trauma, but then my anxiety was learned. Mm. I learned how to worry. Mm-hmm. I learned how to be anxious. I learned how to be high strong. I watched it. We have to have those kinds of conversations. Mm. And are you seeing that a lot with some of like the, when you do have your pillow, um, pillow talks, pillow talks 
um, those individuals, when they get in that room, are you seeing how that trauma from, you know, generations passed down from generation and then you sit here and you're, it's a 14 year old girl in front of you. And she's talking about how she worries so much, how she's, you know, she's nervous about certain things or how she fear, um, of talking to her mother about sex or um, or pleasing herself, like what what is the trauma or the experiences are those individuals, especially young girls? What are they really going through to that we need to be aware of in order to help that dialogue and to also help with breaking down some of those generational curses as we say or generational um trauma that's passed on from generation to generation mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think we need to listen mm-hmm. first and foremost i was raised and you you and probably other people that are listening <laughs> like us yeah children are to be seen mm-hmm. and not heard, not heard. <laughs> right yeah. And you're you are completely negating the fact that this is an individual mm-hmm. that is forming their own identity and they are dealing with their own experiences and interpretations of the world. And their emotional reactions and responses are not going to be the same as yours. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, especially in our communities, we don't we don't have that kind of freedom to even experience something on our own and then have a conversation about it. And when I'm I'm dealing with, you know, teenagers, they have a lot to say and they have a lot of hurt. And sometimes it may be something extremely simple that could have been resolved with, let's sit and talk, I'm sorry, I apologize. But because it's not re- those simple things are not resolved, then they become more complicated issues because then they begin to act out, right? right. My feelings are hurt, I've been hurt, you're not listening to me, you've caused me some harm, and now I'm going to go out in the world and respond to the harm, right? Right, right? I'm triggered. We'll talk about triggers. I do this workshop with young girls called I Am, I will, I must own it. Mm. And you would be surprised the stories that these young sisters, t- you know, will, will say in these rooms. Right. And you're kind of looking like, baby, you're only 14. <laughs> do, do you think it's the, like, where can parents shift that type of conversation with their child with being, to, you know, to being more open with having a dialogue? like? What steps can parents make to make sure that they are not, you know, in so many ways, oppressing their ch- children, especially young girls, to not be comfortable again with, you know, wearing a shirt that shows their breasts or, you know, not showing their breasts, but like showing the silhouette of their breasts or the structure of their hips. Because some girls tend to hide their body because of course, you know, you have parents like, no, you're not gonna go out and go out outside dressed like this. Or no, you don't need to wear your hair down. Or no, your hair don't need to be straight. It needs to be like how what at what age, I guess, should things be appropriate and not appropriate 
and when, when should parents you know discontinue like that the 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 overbearing parental control i guess that's what i'm trying to say i think the relationships i think most relationships especially when you're talking about class politics mm-hmm. most relationships within black families are probably reflective of American relationship with black people. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be oppressive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Black families are nothing but a microcosm in America. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And until we realize, especially when you're talking about low working class people, right? Cause I come from a low working class neighborhood. Yeah. There are certain attitudes and values. You said something about appropriateness. I don't get into appropriateness because then it becomes a matter of right and wrong, good and evil, up and down, moral, immoral, right? And those definitions by design were created to control behavior and oppress certain groups of people, right? And so until we're ready to have that kind of conversation about identity politics in America and why you're telling this girl who should be a girl and free to be a girl mm-hmm. and not checking the nigga that's looking at her because he ain't got no business looking at a girl. <laughs> yeah. Then we can't have a we we can't have yeah. a conversation. We're not ready. Yeah. She's a she's a child, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying over sexualize or under sexualize. I'm saying individualize the child, teach the child, mm-hmm. provide the child with the tools that they need. But here's the thing, though, and we have to be very fair when it comes to our parents, because you can only get what your parents got. That's a lesson I've I've learned this past year, accepting your parents for who they are and not being so angry with what they didn't provide for you, especially when it comes to love, because I've been battling that with my mother as well as with my deceased father that passed away um three years ago so go yeah go into that i'm sorry no i mean you know on the door (laughs) you i mean you just (laughs) i had to you had to learn it. i had to learn it right i can't be upset with my mother because she didn't give me something that she didn't have to give me like how you gonna get it's like somebody you asking somebody for a hundred dollars they only got five yeah but they gave you the five (laughs) Right. But you pissed off because you didn't get the 95, but all they had to give you was the five. And they gave you everything that they had. That's the same thing with our parents. They only can teach you what they know. Yeah. They only can love you the way they know how to love. They only can give you what they have to give. We are so caught up in this Walton, leave it to Beaver, Walt Disney <laughs> mindset. And it's not real. That's, that's not our lineage, that's not our history, that's that's not our culture, right? But, but because we're so inundated with all of this propaganda and all of these mediated images about what a family's supposed to look like and how it's supposed to be informed and how does it act and, and, and move and... That's all bulls. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, my father, right? And I, you know, and Everybody has that, you know, that thing with their dads. You know, my father did what he could do. My father started having us at 17. Yeah. He didn't know nothing at 17. So how can I expect for him to give me something when he had to basically stop his growth at 17 to be, to be a parent? 
when he was informed by his father, right? And there were some things that, you know, I love my grandfather, baby. The sun <laughs> rises and sets on that man's grave for me. But he wasn't a perfect man. Yeah. And there was some, there was some, there was some abuse and some, and some, and some things that were going on in the home, which informed my father's worldview. It's the same thing with my mother, right? She has her own set of issues. But I can't be mad at my mom because she didn't show up for me when in her house it was all women and she's trying to be the provider when she wasn't built that way. Hmm. So she's she's not nurturing. She's my mother has by conditioning, she is a provider. My mother's not emotionally uh aware. <laughs> she's She's not emotionally intelligent. She's none of those things. My mother is not emotionally accessible. Yeah, she's not as a probably like affectionate. She's not. She's the, not. She's not the affectionate one. Um, but if it's, if there's a problem, she's gonna yeah. solve it. Right. Right. <laughs> if there's something that you yeah. need, she's gonna go get it. Exactly. You know. You see what I'm saying? It's which yeah. informed me and my relationship with my children. And so it's just like when we get into the, in relationships, we really have to have real conversations about relationships. We Let's with- talk about that. Let's talk about relationship and sexualization in those relationships. And, mm-hmm. and and when you can, and you know, we'll, I also want to cover, um, we talked about this human trafficking and how, you know, owning your humanity back as a woman that's been um, involved in human trafficking and have been trafficked. So, yeah, go ahead. Sexualization and relationship. Well, I think I think we're not in relationship with ourselves. And I think all of that ties together. And for some people, it, it becomes, you know, a very complicated, convoluted thing, but it's not. If you don't believe that you are human because others have taught you that you're not a human, then what the hell you think you're going to do with other humans? Nothing. You can't. You don't see your own dignity and humanity. How are you going to see the dignity and humanity in somebody else? Right? You're talking about Breonna Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. The whole response to Breonna Taylor is because she's not seen as a human. As a human. The whole response to sex trafficking, which is slavery. Mm-hmm. Let's just call a thing a thing. The reason why the, the response is the way it is is because these people are not seen as human. So we, it, it goes back to, and Dr. West always asks this question, Cornell West is one of my favorite philosophers on the planet. He always says, well, what does it mean to be human? We haven't figured it out. Because we have groups of people in America who have been dehumanized historically. You're talking about black folks, brown folks, indigenous folks, women folk, gay folk, lesbian folk, transgender folk. All of these folks have been marginalized and dehumanized. In prison, folk. When you go to prison, what you you have you no right. You're, not, you, yeah. you're, yeah. you're property at that point. Yep, you are a number. <laughs> and all of that informs how we are in relationship with each other, how we do relationships. So right? how do we do relationships? How do we build relationships the proper way? How do we do that? I think I think it, it really involves you know these kinds of conversations. Um, Beyond Project does a a co-ed pillow talk, which the brothers are apprehensive, right? They they just be like, I don't. I'm coming out <laughs> of the strength of you, Johnson. Like I'm coming because you know you're my sis. But then they get there, and they was like, Oh damn! 
I didn't even realize that I kind I needed this space. Yeah, you need this space. You need the emotional space. You need to be allowed to feel and breathe and laugh and cry and enjoy and experience like everybody else on the planet. And we do not provide black men with those kinds of spaces. Black we don't men tend to always get left out when in terms of when we talk about relationship or love. I feel like they're always on the negative end in a, in a way when we talk about relationship. So. Talk about like how do how can we change besides yeah through conversation? What else can we do to try to shift that dynamic too when we talk about relationships? Because especially again, because I'm a, a sister, I'm gonna always talk about black people, especially with black men. They're always seen in a negative light when we talk about relationship. Automatically, if a woman's been cheated on or if a woman is in a relationship and you don't know what happened, what do most people run to? The first thing that comes to your mind. He oh, he cheated. must have cheated. <laughs> he must have cheated. He ain't she, I bet he cheated. Like, why is that? Why do we, and I said it because, and not to say too much, I know someone that's dealing with a situation right now and it's not to, it's not at his fault. And he worries that I know, you know, this person's gonna go around and people are gonna think like, oh, what did he do? But in reality, it was all her. She was the cheater. She was the manipulator. She was a con from the beginning. So how do we change that? We're always attacking our black men when something like this happens in relationship. I think you have to, I think we must, first and foremost, you have to separate black and man, right? Because men do ain't stuff. Yeah. <laughs> men do. And America has provided them any patriarchal society, especially this hegemonic masculinity, masculine society we live in. It yeah. provides them with the with the groundwork and the rules that say you can do whatever you want to do to a woman. Mm-hmm. Right? She's a receptacle. She's the receiver. You're the provider. You're the nurturer. Husband, when you look at the word, etymologically means owner. She's your property. You do what you want to do. That's 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 an informed lesson, right? That's conditioned. So then when you talk about black men, and again, it goes back to these mediated images, right? You know, he's you know, genetically predisposed to criminal behavior. He's he's a deadbeat. He's he's going to walk out. Black men don't stay with their families and all this other. You know what I'm saying? My grandfather was there. <laughs> he was, now, did he have some issues? <laughs> but was he there? Yes, he was. Right? And so it's not a black man issue it's a man issue hmm. right but in black men have their own particular set of circumstances that they're dealing with and i'm not saying make excuses for them at all like hold them accountable right. just like we have to be held accountable right but if you if you go back and you listen to james baldwin's speeches or you read his text or you read richard wright native son right yes. and bigger thomas bigger thomas was you know this Bigger Thomas was informed by his historical things that made him be the way that he was, right? So when you talk about black men now in the 21st century and the prison industrial complex and the war on drugs and the war on poverty, 
right? And then the prison, the school to prison pipeline, right? And 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 all of those things. And then you so because when I grew up, there were no men in my neighborhood. It was like the men were there, and then they were gone. Mm. But where were they? It was locked up, right? And so. We haven't looked at how that informs our younger men, the men that weren't locked up, or the men who have been locked up and who've been let out. That informs that. That that had a, an everlasting impact on the family dynamic on top of everything else that came before it. So true. That's you true. know what I'm saying? Yeah. But if you get an ain't shit nigga, <laughs> that's because he ain't shit. Not because he's a black man and his blackness informs his ain't shit. Like that. Those things don't go. Can I say them? I'm just. Yes, you okay. can say. Okay. Look, my show, I do not, I do not censor anything. So okay. you say, you are who you are. I don't, I don't believe in censoring people or whatever. You speak, you're speaking your truth, how you know how to. So go yeah, because you know, I, I got to use the work <laughs> words that I need to use in my toolbox. I, I have to use a little cuss words here. Yeah, there. you know, it's, it's just colorful language. That's all it is. It's just a little color. I'm just adding a little color to the conversation. <laughs> but it, it's, it, it, it doesn't inform that, right? You know, if you ain't about nothing, that's because you ain't about nothing. Right. It's not because you're black and you ain't about nothing. No. It's because you ain't about nothing. And and we have to, we have to, A, as women, be honest about our pickings. Because mm-hmm. you knew he wasn't, when you met him. <laughs> you knew it. Oh, I can change it. Oh, I can bring him through it. <laughs> oh, he got potential. Oh, I just met you so cute. Oh, he smells so good in this Eastern Miyake cologne. Oh, he just. No. We're always there. Right? And then black men have to be, he, you picked them. Right. That that baby mama, that's where those baby mamas comes into place. And then they're mad and then upset. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you chose her. And she was this way before you even got a, you and know, that's on, that's true. Yes, and that's true know, on both like, sides. Yeah, it's true on both sides. So speaking of like, just getting back to like the sexualization of everything, and mm-hmm. and I don't know, I don't know if this even fits into place. And we had, I haven't really talked about it, but I want to, and it's kind of old, and I hate to bring it up because it's old. Jada and Will. That because I what I think that is I for me looking in from the outside I feel like that relationship is love and it's acceptance it's and 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 I hate that everybody keeps putting a title that she cheated in reality she didn't cheat her husband knew her husband knew about this kid her, you know like they had an agreement on how they were going to maneuver their marriage and their relationship, going back to relationships within their marriage. And being comfortable with your own sexual, your sexuality and knowing who you are and what you want and what makes you feel good and being able to have a partner who can see that and accept that as well. How, how, what do you feel about 
how do you feel about that dynamics of what happened in that relationship and how the world because the world wasn't accepting the fact that okay they i mean i don't think it's an open marriage but it is an open marriage i just think they they've been able to to negotiate <laughs> how they want to structure their relationship mm-hmm. so, so i, I want to hear it's two things one hypersexualization is an american thing right that that is the american way sex is taboo in the 21st century why what you see is what you get and what you don't see is none of your damn business <laughs> that's, that's it whatever you see with them people face value that's 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 it you have no business in that bedroom you need to be tending to your own bedroom. That's not your business. Two, the hypersexualization of black men and black women in America. That is something that, that has come out of the antebellum period and has now transformed itself through time, right? And because of that, and this, <laughs> the, the Mandingo <laughs> and, and the Jezebel stories, mm-hmm. right? That, that has, that informs, that's a factor and how we respond to black folks when they do sex how they want to do it, right? That's, that's, that's respectability politics, that's identity politics, that is control of the body, that is control of sexuality because that is how you were brought onto these shores. Your sexuality was controlled. Your sexual behavior was controlled at the behest of somebody else because they needed to control it. So this whole August and Jada and, and Will, first, let me say first and foremost, it's not my damn business. Right. <laughs> There's some folks and how they wanted to do their relationship. And if it works for them and their children, look at their children. If their children are happy and healthy and growing and, pe- and becoming productive people, why are we worried about who slept with who, when they slept with and how they slept with and what they did when they, that's not your business. That's the same thing with Cardi B and um, what's his name? Oh, his Offset, yeah, with the with the divorce, with the, yeah, with the right, yeah, uh huh. That's not our business. If they get a divorce, okay, cool. Like, would I, you know, in, in anybody? Would you like, you know, the relationship to work out? Yes, but they may not have been able to negotiate terms that both of them could live with. Right. right. He may have been, he may have wanted to possess her and not be in relationship with her. That's two different things. You want to be in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. He wanted the property of who exactly. she Exactly. What came with who she was at the moment. And that's, and when you talk about what can we do about relationships, especially between black men and black women, we have to get out of that mindset that this is ownership. I don't own you. I don't possess you. I'm in a relationship with you. And and in order for you to be in true relationship with me and me to be in true relationship with you, I have to fully accept you for who you are. I have to love you unconditionally. And then I have to say, listen, these are my terms. These are things that I will negotiate with you with. These are my non-negotiables. These are my boundaries. Either you're gonna, you're gonna rock with it or you're not. You can, you can rock with it or you can kick rocks. Whichever one you wanna do is fine. I can love you from a distance. Are you seeing the hardship with, because um, I quickly want to talk about this before we wrap up today. Um, are you finding that, that it's a hardship for women 
who are trafficked, like who deal with human trafficking. And I, you know, we talked about how how to help them find the the remembering who the humanity, excuse me, inside of them and who they are and owning that. And how is that transition for a lot of those women with accepting what happened to them and then trying to cycle, restart the cycle of loving themselves again. I think I think that there's a lot of trauma there that has to be siphoned through. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I don't know the condition, right? Yeah. So it could be, you know, a situation where, you know, the child or the person was made a, a maid or, you know, a, a a nanny or you know something of that or it could be like they were you know in a sex ring you know and and, and, you know abused and and forced to use drugs and or it could be something you know like you know what um (laughs) the north american man boy love association like (laughs) but it could be something like that where you have these adults that are trading these kids like pokemon cards and they're having these you know relationships, incestuous, not incestuous, but molestation, uh, pedophilia, the way I guess what I'm looking for is this, uh, pedophilia informed relationships, right? So I, you, there's so many things that goes, there's so many things that go into that that you would have to look at it, you know, case by case. Right. Okay. I don't, my specialization is not human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Right. My my specialization is identity. Now, have you know, do I teach kids who have been caught up? Yes. And the best thing that I have been able to do, just me being who I am, is to be able to show up for them, to not judge them, to provide them with a safe space, to always have an open door policy, to, you know, not cross boundaries to watch their behaviors and their patterns to see what is okay and what's not okay. Right? And just just to be authentic. And then when the child, you know, wants to talk and open up, sometimes they'll talk and I open up. But that's I can't speak on that more than that because that's that's not my area. Right. And it's more so about helping them just identifying if they do come to you, just identifying who they are and taking ownership back of the person mm-hmm. per se not necessarily the the issue even though the the trauma or what they've been through may come up within that self-reflecting and self-healing um but really focusing on the identity of who they are and reclaiming that. Now, yeah i think i think what you just said was extremely important yeah you deal with the person not right. the problem right yeah. So if I see you as this victim and I treat you as a victim, I'm not doing anything but re-victimizing you. Yeah, not helping the issue at all. I'm not not at all. Probably making it worse. Yeah. Hmm. That's that's interesting. But and it's, I guess like when it comes to that also, um, because you hit up you hit up on this where you talked about you also help and provide a safe space of teaching women how to please themselves. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. I, I, <laughs> I, I want to talk about that. The last few minutes we have here, 
at least get some entertainment out of this uh being comfortable with talking about sex and what turns you on and how to properly please yourself and you know what isn't cliche or what you shouldn't be ashamed of because some people are ashamed of pleasing themselves or Mm -hmm. boys or talking about sex period i know people they don't don't talk about sex around them so Mm -hmm. let's get into that real quickly before we wrap well listen you know first of all so (laughs) i think master i'm in texas okay Mm -hmm. i am deep south Mm -hmm. i am in the bible belt i am in jesus informed country that's where I'm at in the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm very clear about where I am. Um, but when I started grad school, I got into like all of this literature about gender and sexuality. And I was like the social construction of gender. How do we do gender? How do we perform gender? How do we show up? Mm. And then I started looking at African-American women in particular and how do they do gender and show up. And then how they do gender is informed by this misconception of how they do sexuality and show up. And I was like, that's every one minute in my family. Like, we don't have those conversations. And I had to really think about, like, I didn't have a sex talk. My sex talk was, if I catch you having sex, I'm going to beat your ass. This, that was the talk. It wasn't, this is your body part, and this is what's going to happen. Right. This is none of that. I hadn't, I didn't have that. I and didn't so, have anything. <laughs> and, and how many, you know how many times I've gotten into a woman and asked women that question, who had the sex talk? And they was like, no, honey. This is what my mama said, or this is what my grandmama said. This, this is what my daddy said. And it's similar to, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And so the I was like, okay, I have to do something different. So when my children, they they feel like, my, you going way too far. Like we don't. <laughs> can you? All right, we get it. We're okay. All right, you know what I mean. Yeah. So in 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 these spaces when we do these kinds of pillow talks, you know, you ask the question, and you will be surprised at how many women have never taken a mirror and looked at themselves. You will be surprised how many women who didn't even know the parts of the vagina. Like you, and I, and I go into these spaces with no assumptions that they know these things. I go in with no assumptions. I don't go in whether you know or you don't know. And then that gives us a kind of an even playing field because then people can say, oh, I know this, or I don't know this, or I ain't, I ain't never heard of that. And then we talk about pleasure and we talk about desire. What is the, like, is it appropriate for, I mean, not that it, if it's appropriate, because I don't, I don't, I don't think it matters if it's appropriate. But at what age do you start that conversation? Because with social media today, right, our kids are younger kids are exposed to a lot early on than even how I was exposed to things. Because mind you, I'm 33. I, you know, Facebook wasn't developed until I was like in the 12th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. That's when Facebook went, I think like national, like high schools and every every public school could really get on to that platform. In the beginning of, you know, the ending of, um, what, was, what was the name of the, the famous, the popular website back then? MySpace. <laughs> MySpace, yeah, MySpace and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, today, 
what is the appropriate age to have that conversation with your child to talk about those things and, and not just talk about sex but talking about actual like masturbation like it's okay if you want to masturbate it's okay if you're feeling these feelings or you see a woman and it does something or you see a man and it does something which also go into like I guess that gender identification who are you having that connection with do you feel like you connect with men the same sex as you or you feel like you connect with women talk a little bit about that in in, in your practice and how you help women and, and, and girls and whoever that comes into your place the the child will let you know right mm-hmm. and again the parent has to be the parent has to be informed and the parent has to be ready. And if the parent isn't informed and educated and ready, they only can give the kid what they give, they give them. But the, the child will let you know where they are. And, and I have to, and I make this distinction all the time. There's a difference between gender identity and sexuality, right? Kids at certain ages are forming themselves. If a child comes to you and tell you that they know, you know when your, your kid knows what they know. <laughs> you, you just know, right? Is, and the other thing is, you know, when it comes to teaching the child, the first thing you have to do is ground the child in who they are, right? That's number one. Mm-hmm. You are this, whoever you are, my daughter, right? Mm-hmm. You are beautiful, you're smart, you're kind, you're, this is your body, this is your temple, it is, it is to be protected at all times. You do not let anyone touch it. If you do not want to be touched, if someone touches you in any kind of that, you know what I mean? You have to have those kinds of conversations first. If the kid is even confident in the body that they end in the in in this life. Then once they've done that, and you you and usually you know you, if you pay attention to your kids, you're gonna walk in on the kid. You know something's gonna happen when they have learned and discovered themselves. Self discovery in, in any child development book. That's a chapter, or at least a section, about how the kid is going to self-discover themselves. And it, it self-discover themselves, how they're going to discover themselves. And, you know, it could be, you know, the little girl is pulling on her, on her labia. You know, the, the boy is pulling on his penis. Then you have a conversation about this is what this is called. This is why you're doing it, right? Not, you know, degrading them and and, and, and and demeaning them and making them feel shame, you use those moments to empower your children to make them feel powerful. This is my body part, right? Okay, cool. And then once they get older, then you start having more complex conversations with them. The conversations that you have to have with your children have to be age appropriate. What is the development, the emotional, the psychological, the, the educational, the, development of the child at that age. You can't start having a whole conversation about ejaculation with a kid that's five and he don't know what the hell it is. Right. Right? Or you can't have a conversation about, you know, um emotional intelligence with a five-year-old. They're 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 balls of impulse. That's something you have to teach along the way. And all of those things inform how the child interacts with themselves, sees themselves, and then grows up and develops. Because I never had a conversation about masturbation. I discovered it on my own. Didn't know, you know, like at the Big Bang at the end, like what that was called. All of that stuff I discovered on my own. And so I was like, no, my kids are not 
No, they ain't not gonna be like guinea pigs out here in the street. I'm, I've done it, I've made a mistake. Like, let me have these kinds of conversations with my children because I need them to be equipped. And it's scary. Like, I just, I really <laughs> But, you know, to keep you safe and you're, you're informed, you know, what you do with this information is what you do with this information, but your kids saying you don't have it. And that's, that's a place where, and again, I'm in the deep south. My grandmother was Kojic, she was the mother of the church. Her mama was the mother of the church. My mother's Catholic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm down here with some Bible thumpers for real. And the kinds of conversations that I'm having are very taboo or considered to be taboo. But I have to have these conversations because even when I was like 30, I think I may have just turned 30 when I asked my mom, I was like, I was writing my thesis. I was like, Ma, how you, how you know you had a orgasm? Never had that kind of conversation before, but because I, I, I framed it in an academic way, she felt more comfortable Answering. having the conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But just to have a conversation, had a conversation, no, never, never, never. And she, she would never think about that. So it, it 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 sounds like it also boils down to making sure that you leave you it's like leaving the door open for your child to be comfortable enough and know that you're comfortable enough to have any conversation like that, especially in terms of like sex and identifying and socializing their sexuality, their identity, anything, yes. so that they won't have to grow up and find themselves trying to figure out who they are, right. figure out where they belong, who accept them, who not who, who's not accepting them, because it doesn't matter if you accept yourself and you love yourself, none of, none of those other things will distract you from being happy mm-hmm. and that self-love. Um, tell the people, as we wrap up here, tell the people, what you want them to be aware of, how you want them to get educated and how they can contact you, how they can be a part of the own project and what you guys are doing. Um, because understanding self-love, self-acceptance and self-healing is so important. And I want them to be able to have those talks in an open space, as you say, so that they can come as they are and speak as they want. <laughs> and that's what I love. Like, come as you are and speak how you speak. Like, speak your speech. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you can follow me on um, Facebook at The Identity Professor and on Facebook at The Own Project. You can follow me on Instagram at The Own Project. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I want people to walk away from this conversation with the most is. You got one life that you know of. Be and do you. Show up authentically and unapologetically yourself. Because if you don't, it's going to cost you in the end. We want these Claire Huxtable, Bill Huxtable kind of lives. We want to be safe and within the confines of what America has deemed appropriate and inappropriate that's deemed acceptable, socially acceptable or not. And what you have to realize is, is that 
the structure was created to contain. It wasn't created to evolve and to progress. And we have to be evolutionary in our process. And we have to be very progressive. And that takes a lot of honesty and a lot of courage. Mm. And it's scary as hell. It don't feel good all the time. But it's something that everybody deserves. Everybody deserves. Essentially, what I'm talking about is free. You heard it here. Author, Professor Aurelia Johnson. I thank you so, so much for being here today. I think it's the start of many conversations. Um, I hope women, young girls who are out there get, get to know who you are, understand who you are, and love yourself at the end of the day. Um, you can find her on Instagram. The OWN Project is mm -hmm. on Instagram. She has the website. Look her up. Contact her. Let her come speak to some, you know, event, a group of kids, young ladies, because this is so important. This is what's going to help young girls and women to not be confused and know right off the bat, you know, who they are, who they want to be with, who they identify with, and, and, and also not get tangled up in, you know, even though you're not a... Um, and human trafficking activist because I was so I could I could really talk about it. That's what I did back in the day. I I, I worked with victims of human trafficking and domestic violence, all those types of things. So if you know who you are, you won't fall. You're likely not. Let me say that. Let me correct myself. You're likely to not fall into a trap or into a situation that'll get you stuck in a domestic situation or human trafficking, or I don't know, gang rape, or, um, you know, finding yourself around people who would, you know, um, violate you or mistreat you because, you know, you're part of the LGBTQ community. Um, understanding yourself and loving yourself is so important. So reach out to her. I thank you so, so much. Thank you. And Thank you all for tuning in and listening to The Reload. I'm your host, Kiana Ward. Thank you so much, Ms. Johnson. Thank you, sweet. I appreciate it.